Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. Nate Serrano joins us today, and he is a former personal trainer who recently turned uh, into the academia setting. He's an Olympic weightlifter practitioner, started back in 2012, and uh, I think he has some really good information on something that I'm not 100% um, up to snuff on, which is uh, muscle research in in form of fiber types. So he's very specific on the Olympic weightlifting uh, protocol and how those muscle fibers play a big role in that. So I think this is going to be a huge benefit to to everybody listening, especially if you're you're working with Olympic athletes and maybe things aren't sinking in the way you thought they would. So Nate, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Hey, how's it going? It's uh, uh, good to be on. Everything's really good over here, my way. I know we both had a, a busy day, and yeah. you're actually a few hours ahead of me, or no, no, a few hours behind me. Behind, so yeah, I'm, right. yeah, I'm kind of, I finished my day, and you're still kind of yeah. in the midst of yours. So yeah, a little bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, tell everybody, fill in some gaps for everybody who who uh, who is listening, and tell them a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, let's see here. Where do I start? Um, so I actually started my whole athletic career really in um, the sport of check and field. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did that through high school um, and then decided to do that in college as well. So um, I did the like junior college athlete thing and then <clears throat> um, trying to figure out like where exactly I wanted to go after that. Uh, so I decided to look around to some D1 schools in hopes that I would be able to, to continue on doing track. Uh, found Boise State, uh, and actually walked onto their track team. Um, so I worked my tail off to try to get onto that track team. Finally did. Um, and then in that, I kind of used CrossFit very, very briefly. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> used it pretty briefly to, as a means to stay in shape. Um, and in that, I found Olympic weightlifting. Fell head over heels and completely in love with it. Um, so much so that I started using that in my training and prep for track. Um, and then once I finished track, I just went head down, eyes forward, full head, for, <clears throat> excuse me, full force into uh, Olympic weightlifting. So that was back in 2012. Um, and I've been uh, practicing, coaching, you name it, everything in between uh, with Olympic weightlifting. I have certs. Um, I've gone to seminars, I've taught multiple athletes. I have some athletes of my own, um, Cal State Fullerton, where I'm at now doing my masters. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have a weightlifting club, um, that is now it's a little more popular around universities, but at the start, uh, it was probably one of, one of the first, um, I know there's a couple of universities around the country that have their own weightlifting clubs. Some of them 
have weightlifting teams, um, which hopefully in a few years, at some point, will Kelsey Fullerton be on that map too. Um, but that actually started through my advisor, Dr. Andy Galpin. Um, whoa, whoa, some whoa, of your whoa, listeners whoa, 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 whoa. Time, whoa. Time out. Name. Time out. Hold yeah. on a second. That's a huge name drop. Yeah. You did, first of all, when we, when we had our like initial phone call, <laughs> you did not mention, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Yeah, he's, Holy... my, he's my advisor for my master's degree. Oh my God. I, I had no idea. Okay. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. I just kind of got a shot. No, no Holy cow. No, <laughs> cool. he's Galpin is amazing. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely, he's, he's in his own category for sure. Um, so oh my gosh, actually funny enough, I actually met him right when I was getting into weightlifting. Um, so I have some family members that also did their undergrad and their masters at Fullerton while I was away in Idaho. Um, and I came home when I think it was like a winter break or something like that. Came in very briefly as they were kind of starting up their weightlifting club and met Dr. Galpin um, through there. Yep. I don't know if he really remembers me from that, but um, <laughs> as soon as I came back home and started my grad program, I, I knew Fullerton was the place to be. Um, yep. And then just kind of seeing what he's done around the field and in, within the weightlifting community specifically, um, really just kind of look towards him to, to learn under and to work under. Um, so I've been there ever, pretty much ever since. Um, so now I am basically full-time working in his what we call the biomolecular exercise physiology lab, um, which is just really fancy to say that we uh, analyze fiber types um, yep. along with some other stuff. So we have, we just got a postdoc on staff that is uh, working with Dr. Andy Galpin um, on some AMPK muscle signaling stuff that I couldn't really tell you too much about because I don't really understand that in depth um she would know a lot more and the other grad students that's working with her would know a lot more Kara, um they're doing some really cool stuff with fiber specific adaptations um as far as it has to do with um, high intensity interval training okay um and that's uh, an ongoing project right now along with mine um so they're doing some pretty cool stuff and then uh my work my actual project will be on um fiber types of weightlifters. Um, so I, I feel like most people have a pretty good sense of what fiber types actually are. Um, most people know that we have fast twitch fibers or slow twitch fibers. Right. Um, but it's really not as simple as just you have fast twitch fibers and slow twitch fibers. Right. Um, there's, there's multiple different types. So there's our slow twitch, which we call type one. Mm -hmm. And then we have our fast twitch, which is actually broken up into a couple subgroups, which we have 2A, and then we have a super fast or ultra fast, uh, which we call 2X. Um, the 2X ones aren't super, they're not found in very many athletes, um, especially in, in most of the research, which is probably about 90% done in endurance athletes um over probably what the last 50 maybe 60 years that 
they've been looking at fiber types. Um, a lot of the research has been done on either recreational athletes, non-athletes, or endurance athletes. So there's not a lot of research done on strength athletes. Um, so that was kind of my intention with my project and as well as Galpin's, he's kind of suggested it. Okay. Um, but one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to do this project was number one, it was weightlifting. So I was like, how cool is that to be able to basically just research weightlifting or get like a degree on weightlifting. Right. Um, so uh, going into the research, I realized that there wasn't very much research done on strength athletes at all. In fact, there's only 35 studies that have been done on athletes and that includes endurance athletes as well. Um, what, from, what, from what time frame? Uh, it started in 1976 up until now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's still incredibly unresearched. Yep. Um, so there's probably about, if I remember correctly, it's 19 studies that have been done on strength and power athletes. Um, and then there's only been four studies that I've been able to come across and I've, I've dove in pretty deep into the research. Um, there's only been four done on females in fiber types. Uh, but those four were subpar to say the least. Um, so they, uh, most of the research that's been done and that I've seen isn't done with the same technique that we use, which um, it's, the technique is called uh, SDS page for short, or to sound really fancy, sodium dodecyl sulfate uh, polyacrylamide gel electrophoresis. Yeah, we'll just stick with SDS page. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so what we do is we take biopsies of a person's muscle. It could be basically any of any muscle in the body that's pretty much like fat enough to get a biopsy from, but most of the research is done on vastus lateralis. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, we take the biopsies, we'll freeze them, we'll let them sit in solution that basically breaks down some of the connective tissue um, so that we can pull single fibers out of a bundle. So um, think of it as like a ponytail. Uh, so it's our, your muscle comes out into that like bundle of like a ponytail type thing. Mm -hmm. And then under a microscope and um, very fine tweezers, we take out single muscle fiber cells or muscle fibers. And then we isolate those into another solution. Um, and then we analyze them for their uh, myosin heavy chain content. Um, so if you're familiar with like the whole sarcomere and- like, Oh yeah. Yeah, so the myosin protein of a muscle is what we measure. Um, and that tells us whether it's type one, type two, or two A or type two X. Okay. Okay, uh, but wait, hold on. I want to I want to put you on pause for a sec because we're getting ready to get dive into some pretty deep stuff, which is good because I want to. Yeah. But I do want to back up because I do have a couple questions. So, <clears throat> do you think let's let's go back to when you were walking on you know at uh, Boise State? Do you feel that? doing Olympic lifts was, was a good catalyst for track and field. Yeah. Do you feel absolutely. like, do you feel like yeah. looking back? Okay. Because I feel 
I feel like everything that we're, you're starting to learn about Olympic lifting and weightlifting in general, and especially the past, like maybe 30 to 40 years, um, mm-hmm. especially in something that's like endurance based, all of these things are starting to come to light. You've talked to, if you talk to some, maybe some very old school uh, endurance athletes, you might hear that, uh, that weightlifting, or at least 40 to 50 years ago, right. you know, no one really lifted weights, especially if you were an endurance athlete, right. let alone like a football player. Right. Right. So, um, and that goes back even a little bit further, you know, maybe 60, 60 years ago. So, okay. So you felt that was, that was, a, that was a good catalyst, which obviously makes sense. And we'll dive into why in a little bit. I think that's kind of okay. where you, you were, you were going, but I wanted to touch on, to, on, on Galpin again, because okay. for those of you who don't know anything about Andy Galpin, I, I highly recommend you dive into his, his work and his research. I like him a lot because he takes an extremely level-headed approach to training and exercise as yes. it pertains to each individual. That's why I like him so much, because it's not like this big, broad um, structure that says, well, X equals Y, and it covers a base for everybody. Because, <laughs> exactly. because he, that's not how he approaches exercise at all. It's, it's a very individualized, specific um, structure that he follows. And I really appreciate that as someone who, who works with people on a day-to-day basis who basically, I mean, you know, there are very few athletes that I work with, but um, the people that, that come in and say, well, I've been training for so long. How come I haven't had these kind of results? And Number one, depending on how you train, the results are going to vary based on, you know, your fiber type and things like that. And genetics play a huge role. And maybe that's been um, just drilled into the ground for so long. But I, I think sometimes when things like that, like genetics get drilled into somebody's or into like a section's um, like exercise, if genetics gets drilled in for so long, we right. people tend to brush it off like, yeah, genetics, blah, blah, blah. Like it's some kind of like it's made up or fake when the reality is genetics and muscle type and muscle fiber play a huge role, not only in power output, endurance output, but in your overall muscularity and how much muscle a person can or may not be able to gain. So to cycle back around, basically when you look at Andy Galpin's, all of his information and which is, I, I mentioned him because it's, it's amazing that you're on here and you're underneath him. So you're getting a lot of guidance from him. I assume. Um, he's, he's taken a very good approach to individualizing all of this stuff and, and making it, uh, readily available for anybody who is interested in, in how to go about, um, training specifically for themselves. He makes it very easy for that to happen. So I I just wanted to get that out of the way and I'll I'll let you, I'll let you continue with, uh, SES page and and everything else you're getting ready to dive into. (laughs) Well, actually, since you brought it up. Um, genetics doesn't really play play as much of a role as most people would think. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people think fiber types, it's whatever you are given or born with is what you have. And that's really not the case. We, we've seen a lot of research now and it's fairly accepted that your fiber types do actually adapt and change. Okay, good. All right. Dive into that some more. Yeah. Um, So, and that's actually another partial reason as to why 
I'm doing my project on weightlifters. Um, a lot of athletes, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches for that matter, use weightlifting as a means to uh, gain more strength, power, speed, and all of that stuff. Um, but we haven't really been able to look at and ex explain on a molecular level why that is. Um, so with fiber types, we can kind of see how your muscles actually shift um, through that training. There's still a lot of work needs to be done in that area, so we don't know too much. Um, but we do know that they can shift. There's been studies done on recreational athletes doing, um, going from basically nothing to high intensity sprints and their, their fiber type shift from one end of the spectrum of type ones to type twos. Um, and that's another thing that I didn't quite touch yet. Um, so it's not just one, it's not just type two A and it's not just type two X. We have what's called hybrids, which is kind of a mix of each of those fibers. So you can have a, a single muscle fiber that takes on some of the qualities of type one and type two. Um, and same thing for the type two A's and the two X's. You can have kind of the in-between and within those, each of the single fibers can have um, a different percentage of um, each of those type fiber types. So one could be say 70% type one and 30% um, type two A. And then you can have another uh, hybrid that's maybe 40% type one and 60% type two A. Um, okay. So they're super, super adaptable and super plastic. Um, so it's, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done in that area, um, which is why I've fallen in love with it so much. Yeah. That, well, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad you corrected me because that's, that's something that you hear over and over and over. And I guess maybe a better way to, to put it is like, it takes, I guess it would take more skill, more practice, more um, uh, drive for someone to really change their, their tissue, not, not tissue, right. their, their cell. I mean, you're, you're dealing with like on the molecular level, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, and, and honestly, it, they change pretty quick. Um, some of the research has shown like a couple of weeks, as, I think as short as like two to three weeks. Okay. Um, so it can change pretty fast. Now I'm not saying you can take an ultra marathon runner and make them into like a, an elite level power lifter. Um, it's going to, they'll shift, but they're not going to get all the way to the extreme. So yes, genetics may play a large portion in it, but not as much as most people would think. Okay. But for like the gen for general population, um, you know, basic strength training versus like an Olympic right. athlete or, or an Olympic lifter, I mean. So in my mind, um, it's most of that comes from the years and years and years and years and years of very, very specific training. Right. Um, so if you have somebody who's an Olympic athlete and say track and field for a sprint, they've been doing 20 plus years of sprint training. Um, which is why we see such high amounts of type 2A fibers. And uh, there's actually been a study done in 2015 that looked at um, a world-class record holding a sprinter. And we actually saw that he had 24% uh, of those ultra-fast fibers, which in any other area of the, re of the research has showed less than maybe 1% of those two X's. So I couldn't really tell you why he has so much. I mean, I could speculate all day, but 
until yeah. we actually have the hard science behind it, I couldn't really give you a solid answer. But it's really pretty amazing how these high-level athletes have such dramatic um, differences from, I guess, the general population. So let's let's stick with the the Olympic lifting um, yeah. specific. So that's what you're you know you're becoming an expert on. What separates someone from being that super high level ollie weightlifter to someone who maybe just can't break that plateau? Are are you starting to find out more about that? Um, honestly, it's it's partially is I would say fiber type, but a big portion of people's success in Olympic weightlifting, um, I would say comes from the years of practice starting younger. Um, and yeah, I think we're right. seeing that kind of shift in, um, in the U S uh, we're, and I want to give a lot of the credit to CrossFit because they definitely did popularize Olympic weightlifting, um, as bad as they, their rap gets, um, they definitely help that sport grow a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they get, they have the, not, no, I'm not trying to use a pun on this, but they have the platform for it for sure. Yes, they but, definitely but, have the platform. But the way they go about actual programming yeah. is not yeah. how Olympic athletes no, actually not at all. work. Not right. At all. So when people hear me harp about, especially on this podcast, when they hear me harp about uh, CrossFit, there's, there's multiple reasons why I really dislike it, okay? And you yeah, and I kind of talk, talked yeah. about that. But that's number one. It's because it gives an unreal um, expectation of what actual Olympic weightlifting is. What yeah. people are seeing, those are Olympic weightlifting movements, I would say. Right. But They're that's not necessarily not... Olympic. Right. It's just weightlifting. Yeah. And the people that they see there, like you and I discussed, those, right. no matter what, and I, and I, I don't even want to call it a sport, but whatever activity or event <laughs> or something that those people partake in, <laughs> yeah. they are going to be like the people in the, in the quote unquote CrossFit games, they are going to be right. high level at basically anything that they put their minds to. Right. Um, so that's why they look the way they do. That's why they are for the most part, maybe injury free, even though some of them mm -hmm. end up injuries eventually, but um, you know, they, they are just high level, athletes across the board so right but but that's kind of why i harp on it so much just because i i i know that people come into uh even where i train and they'll they'll say why don't we do these olympic lifts i'm like because you're not an olympic lifter like you're you're a right. 45 year old man who has a desk job and right. you know get, getting into a, first of all for, number one i'm not an olympic athlete okay so i i have no business teaching someone how to do um, you know, deadlift is about all I'll go to deadlift right. and a squat. Like that's, that's it. They're very technical still, but that's it. But I have no business teaching those Olympic lifts to anyone. I mean, right. that, that, so, it, so with that, with that in mind, they have no business learning it from someone like me. And, right. uh, and, and I, you know, they're getting, they're, the, they're behind the ball, you know, 30 years by now. So right. it's, yeah, it's uh, it's just a weird phenomenon. But you're right. You're right in how CrossFit has definitely expanded um, Olympic lifting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess getting back to a little bit more of what I what my research is on. Um, yes. 
So there's still a lot of unanswered questions as far as Olympic weightlifting. Um, and I keep calling it Olympic weightlifting, but really it's just weightlifting. Olympic weightlifting is just like the Olympic sport the, or event. Um, and um, so I think that was, this is what I was getting to um, before, before we kind of segued into back towards Andy Galpin and yeah, I'm sorry. Um, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, so a lot of the research that is in the literature right now, like doesn't even touch females. Um, and one of the biggest portions of my project is we're looking to fiber type females. Like there's zero females that have been done with our technique, our STS page. Um, so that in itself is just going to be, it's a huge, um, I guess, selling point um, for our research. Uh, but the other thing is like, the information you get from fiber typing is fairly close to getting something like a DNA test for your performance. Um, and I think a lot of people, and our lab is actually hoping to at some point um, make getting biopsied and fiber typing and all that stuff a little more accessible. Um, obviously at a cost, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, and I don't even know if I can actually say that. <laughs> um, so if I need to cut that part if, out. If I need to edit that, I can. So you need to yeah. really let me know. <laughs> yeah, I would probably just cut that part out. But it's really interesting as to like what our lab is starting to do. Um, but yeah, so like females are haven't been fiber typed at all in the last fifty some odd years that we've been doing this research and. It's amazing how how little research has been done on on ladies. Um, even though we know that like doing squats, deadlifts, cleans, snatches, all that stuff helps your performance, yet um, we have no idea what what goes on in the female's body when we're doing those things. Um, so I'm super interested to see if they're even comparable to their male counterparts. Okay. Which I think would be really cool. Because um, in our nationally, um, a lot of our females are, I mean, they're not, they're not really all that close to their male counterparts, but they're getting up there and they're getting really, really strong. I mean, if you look at these weightlifters, like they don't look like they're super jacked um, bodybuilder type people, but they're able to put double some some of them a little over double bo their body weight i'm talking about females some of the guys are getting close to triple body weight um, i know there's triple body weight clean and jerkers um in like china and like other parts of europe and asia wow. um so this stuff like weightlifting has some really incredible feats of the human body um which is another reason why i've i've fallen in love with this sport so much so let me ask, because you kind of brought up, um, you know, the, the counterparts, but I'm, I'm, it kind of made me think about body type versus muscle type. Right. Um, because obviously, you know, if you, if you look at certain types of athletes, they all have something very similar in terms of, of body types. And that kind of right. goes across the board in almost mm -hmm. every sport. So right. has, are you, 
are you guys focusing on that at all? Is there anything um, you well, find any correlation? Let me let me actually just this is something I don't know if you're familiar with the name Dr. Um, Lee Brown. Uh, no, uh-uh. he's fairly large in like the science community, of course, as well as the NSCA. Um, he just recently retired, and he was a, a, a faculty member at Cal State Fullerton. Um, but something he said in one of his classes that I took uh, before he um, retired was basically the sport picks you, not you picking the sport. Uh-huh. Um, so whatever kind of your, your body type is, your body is going to lean towards that sport. Right. So w- that's why we see such like specific body types for uh, an individual sport. So like football players have like large leg or just basically all around muscular. Um, soccer players are a little more uh, leaner because um, they're more endurance. Weightlifters tend to be a little bit more bulky, but they're not quite as lean, although some of them should be. Um, and you have all the, the entire over through the whole spectrum of all the sports. But I, I don't think that it's really necessary to look at somebody's body type because it like the sport's going to form their body type anyways. Like, and even within weightlifting, there's different body types within the weight classes. So like there's um, all of the lighter weight classes like most people probably don't even realize. And then you get the big ones that you'll probably see in the actual Olympics where there's guys lifting like enormous amounts of weight over their head. Yeah. Um, those are the big guys that most people will see, but there's also like smaller weight classes, people that are maybe about five foot, 130 pounds that are lifting close to three times their body weight over their head. Yeah. And those bigger guys, they're, they're maybe touching on like a little over double. So like the, the amount of weight and strength and speed and power and all of that stuff that goes into these lifts is tremendous. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you hit it on the head when you, when you talked about, you know, you can't just rely on that body type and, and the first, the first thing that pops into my head was, this may come out of way out of left field, but it was Cal Ripken, because uh-huh. as a as a as a shortstop, he was during his time one of the largest shortstops. And um, traditionally, right. you don't see guys as big as he was, right? Right. But I guess I guess over the past like thirty plus years, twenty plus years, you're seeing um, athletes of all kind. Obviously, as training becomes more uh, sophisticated and scientific. Everybody's getting mm-hmm. bigger. Everybody's getting faster. But then, uh, but then you get in that anomaly that is a, yeah. you know, it is a wide receiver that's actually maybe six foot tall instead of six seven, who right. can run, you know, you know, a four two or four one or whatever the fast fast pace is, and can jump higher than Megatron, you know. So yeah. it's it you have those anomalies that that are out there for sure that maybe break the curve, but. Um, yeah, but I, I think you're I think you're spot on, and this is coming from someone who had not nearly as much knowledge um, as you do in terms of you know the huh. science behind it. But I think you're right to say that you know sometimes the sport picks the athlete. How do you feel though? You know, saying that, and then maybe seeing those multi-sport athletes like 
football players who end up becoming pitchers, you know, who are like these six foot seven, six foot six, just monsters who have cannon arms, but who also are just amazing, um, you know, offensive or, or defensive backs. Well, if you think about it, those, those two positions kind of have similar qualities. Like for really good pitching, like you're going to see people that are taller, lankier, um, but obviously the more power and strength they have, the faster they're going to be able to pitch. Right. Um, so ideally I would say a pitcher should be a little bit taller and more muscular. And I think you're seeing a lot more of that um, in baseball in the last maybe like five or so years since training's get, been getting a lot better. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, no, 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 I was, well, I was just going to say there's, I've told this story a couple times. I don't think on the podcast, but I was, I was watching a ball game. This has been about 10, maybe, maybe 11 years ago. And I can't remember the name of the ball player, but he was gigantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a pitcher. He was a right-handed pitcher. And he just, he ended up plunking this, uh, this batter. And that you know, had been like pitching wars back and forth. Right. And this batter threw down his bat and charged the mound. And this, <laughs> this pitcher, I, I want to say he was on the, the Oakland A's maybe, but anyway, he, he dropped, he threw his glove down and didn't like make a big deal out of it. Just kind of flung it off his hand and squared up with this guy Yeah, and picked the, like shouldered the batter at the waist and literally pile drive the guy <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. And, and, and everybody was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's an animal. And yeah. he didn't like, he didn't beat the crap of everything. He basically just held him there. But the announcer said, yeah, a little known fact, whoever the pitcher was, was also a football player, you know, <laughs> multi-sport athlete at X, yeah. Y, and Z. And you're like, holy cow, the, the batter yeah. had no idea what he was getting himself into. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, I think those, <laughs> those kind of athletes are, are some of those anomalies, as you were saying. The, the people that just are a little naturally gifted yeah. um, just within the sports themselves. Not necessarily so much like in their body type, but I think just like motor movement patterns and stuff like that. They've either practiced a lot as they're younger or something like that, or they have a lot of similar um, similar movements right? between the yeah. sports that they play. So I think that's what gives them more of their success than anything else. I think you're right. So before we wrap this up, I, I want to know your thoughts. What do you hope to find from your research? What do you hope to see happen in the future in the sport of uh, Olympic lifting? Um, so being that this is basically the first research study done on Olympic weightlifters, other than maybe three more that have been done recently, but with, um, I guess, older techniques of fiber typing and naming and stuff like that. So this will be the first one done with SDS page or single fiber electrophoresis. Um, so with that being said, I'm just hoping to to find something that's interesting. Um, not necessarily, I don't really have a hope for something specific. I mean, I know most people know that like strength and speed and power athletes are a little bit faster, so they would have more type twos. So that's kind of the general idea. But as far as giving an actual profile of you're the, uh, say 30% type one and 70 something percent type, 2a um like there's like i said it's kind of like a dna print or a thumbprint um 
for for any athlete really so it's more of an individual type thing that i'm hoping for that can start to grow and be a little bit more well known um and be more of a like a standard test basically um for athletes in the future nice awesome well i hope i hope whatever you know the outcome is and this is going to be just an ongoing uh study i feel like you know especially if this is like one of I the first so. two, yeah. 2017 and you're just now breaking into this with very little um ground to stand on in terms of other research it, this is it's groundbreaking in, in itself and i think uh down the road this is going to lead to more and more studies and show how beneficial weight training and weightlifting is as a whole Definitely. so yeah um nate if if anybody has any questions comments concerns what are the best places to get a hold of you uh you can find me on instagram at um either my personal one which i don't use all that often anymore but it's uh nate.serrano um and then i also have a professional one that i use for coaching and personal training stuff um, and I'll be posting a lot more stuff regarding my pro this project that I'm working on in the next probably month or so. Um, but that one is uh, Nate Serrano uh, dot strength specialist. Um, and then Facebook, you can find me or find my page. It's all linked to my Instagram page. Um, okay. My email is coach.nate.serrano at gmail.com. If you have any questions um yeah i mean i'm mostly on instagram twitter i don't really use snapchat i don't use facebook i hardly ever use it's mostly on it's mostly instagram yeah i think instagram's kind of taking over everything that's pretty yeah. much what everybody else says so including yeah. including myself i i basically use instagram just to push other stuff to other platforms <laughs> yeah but all right, Nate, I, I appreciate your input and, you know, we're probably going to have to do a, a second podcast just to, Absolutely. to, to dive into some, some more work. And especially since, you know, you're just getting started with all of this and there's going to be a long road ahead of you. And as you progress as uh, you know, in your Olympic weightlifting and everything you yeah. find out about muscle fibers. So uh, I'd be interested to have you back on in a couple of months and, and see where you've been and, yeah. and what, uh, what other information you have to share. So Nate, thanks for hopping on, man, and have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform, at Eric Feigl, or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.